good to see you all here. Please be seated, Woven Church. Thank you for stirring time of worship, Pastor Bobby, and uh, appropriate words there at the end, worship that encourages the body. And we're going to talk about that today in all senses, encouraging the body, the physical body. Uh, <clears throat> Paul, you were talking about a couple of things this morning. Once again, spot on. Um, leaders eat last. In my experience, leaders sometimes don't even eat. Leaders sometimes don't even eat, don't even get to eat. And so, <clears throat> all of this talk about taking care of the body and eating and the necessity and the need to eat and how sometimes we can deprive ourselves, I want to continue our series today, our series that we've started three weeks ago called Hashtag Daniel Plan. The Daniel Plan series has been about addressing not just the spiritual, but also the physical not just the spiritual, but also the physical. And the first three weeks, we talked about motivation. Because in order to make a physical change, in order to make any change, we have to talk about the underlying motivational drivers. What motivates you, not only to change today, but to make a sustained change that will last the next three months, the next three years, the next 30 years and so sustained change requires some kind of a motivational switch. And so the first three weeks we talked about that. Today I'm going to change gears and talk about this connection between physical and spiritual. So the Daniel Plan series is about the physical body. Some of us are going to start some exercise. Some of us are going to lose some weight. Some of us are going to eat better. Some of us are going to rest more. Some of us are going to use devices less. Some of us are going to do something along those lines, and that's what this Daniel Plan series is about, and we're going to make those commitments together. But before we actually make those commitments and we activate them, today, for the next week or so, I want to talk about this connection between the physical body and the spiritual part of ourselves, our spirituality and physicality. And I want to do that, and I want to start off and set the stage with an anecdote tell you a story. Almost 20 years exactly, 20 years exactly, 1998, um, <clears throat> I guess I was uh, about 21 years old. I was about 21 years old and uh, I was working in New York City in an office <clears throat> on 32nd Street, 32nd Street, Midtown Manhattan. I commuted, I took the bus and then the subway in every morning at 8 and out every evening at 6. And uh, one day I arrived in the office and I remember at about 11 in the morning I began to feel overwhelmed. And it was something I've never experienced before. It was, it was uh, these crashes. I began to crash. I began to feel plunging. I began to all of a sudden feel like uh, uh, I'm hopeless. And it was the onset of depression. And I remember sitting in the stairwell, in the stairwell of the office and kind of with my head in my hands, not knowing what's going on and feeling um, these, these, uh, these heavy, heavy plunges and this depression that would last for about six months. It would last for about six months. And during that time, I was very confused. I was so depressed that I had thoughts, crazy thoughts, like I wish that I could go to a war or something, and be a soldier um, so that, you know, I didn't have to do the horrible deed myself. 
That's how bad it was. I was hoping that, you know, in the line of fire or something, or in a noble way that, that I could just be done away with because I couldn't take the pain. And if anybody knows what experience depression feels like, you know what I'm talking about. If anybody doesn't know what depression feels like, it is exhausting. It is mentally exhausting. You feel like your brain is constantly running um, high RPMs. It's burning and you're just having to kind of, you know, uh, you're, you're just trying to have to stay alive somehow. That's what depression feels like. And I was very confused at that time because in that season of my life, I was experiencing spiritual revival. I was experiencing profound things, attitudinal changes. I was motivated. My motivation was changing my spirit, my attitudes. I prayed more than I ever prayed. I was experiencing a profound spiritual awakening. Why, God? Why then am I experiencing depression? Why am I depressed? I'm repenting of my sins. I'm experiencing change, profound change. Why am I depressed? I'm doing everything right, God. And then one morning, as I was waiting in the lobby for the elevator to pick me up and to take me to, to the third floor, I looked in the mirror, and I remember what I saw in the mirror was a zombie. And the zombie that stared back to me was 135 pounds. I'm about 5'9", 5'10". 5'10", 135 pounds for 5'10" is very, very underweight. I saw dark rings under this zombie's eyes. I saw somebody that needed a haircut, somebody that looked unfed. I saw death. And from that moment, I realized if I don't do something, then this is only going to continue. And I started doing the most interesting things. You'd think that I would... I would have some kind of deeper spiritual journey or I would have some kind of an emotional or some kind of a counseling. I did none of those. You know what I started doing? I started doing pull-ups. Listen, my brother, my younger brother was in the Marines at that time and he told me just in passing, in order to be in the Marines, you have to qualify by doing, by doing 20 pull-ups. 20 pull-ups in order to be in the Marines. And I said, ain't no way my younger brother is going to best me. <laughs> and so whenever I had a spare moment, there was a part in the back section of the office, uh, kind of off to the, off to the side where there was, a hang, there was a bar. And whenever I began to feel exhausted or tired, I'd, feel the pl- I'd go back there and I'd start doing pull-ups. And, you know, I'd do those kind of like, you know, I was like Captain America before he was Captain America, if you've ever seen the movie, like, um, if you know what I mean. Chris Evans. Chris Evans, that's the actor's name. Am I right? Did I get that right? That's what I looked like before he became Captain America. You know, so just uh, do a couple of pull-ups. And then the next day, I do a few more. Well, the next month. And then the next month. And the next thing you know, I was, I was able to do, you know, just go all the way. Another thing I started doing, another thing I started doing was forcing myself to eat. I never ate very well my entire life. I never ate well. I never cleared my plate. That's why I was not just severely underweight. I was skeletal. I was skeletal. And so I forced myself to clear my plate, no matter what was on there, no matter what. I, I, I stopped getting junk food, and I just started bring, going, you know, getting the, the healthy, in Korean, we call it toshirak. 
and they had these things since we were not far from Koreatown. I would just get and whatever was there, I, whether I liked it or not, I, I lost my appetite. I had no taste for food anyway. I made sure I cleared everything. And the third thing, another thing I did was after work, once I came home, I started moving around. I, I would go to the, to, the, to, to the park about a block or two away. I'd go to the park and I'd shoot hoops. I wasn't very good at basketball either, but I would just shoot hoops for about 40 minutes before dinner and make sure I just got some movement in, just opened up my chest. Now, here's the miracle that happened after doing all of those things, pull-ups, clearing my plate, moving around. The miracle is in about three to five months' time, and I was 21 years old, I jumped up from 135 pounds to 160 pounds. I gained almost 30 pounds in about three to five months. That's a miracle for me because my entire life I tried to do that. I was never able to succeed. And for the first time in my life, I gained weight. I've kept that weight on, but the greater miracle above that is that I've never been depressed again. 20 years have gone by, and I've gone through hard stuff but I've never experienced those kind of plunges again. Why? Because I finally made the connection that there is something related about the spiritual and the physical. If you do not take care of the physical, your spirit will not be well. If you do not take care of your spirit, your body will not be well either. They are symbiotically connected. You care for one, you care for the other. And the thing is, when I was growing up in church, I never learned this. I never learned this. And that's why, that's why I was abusive towards my body, because I thought all that mattered was the spirit. I don't blame the people who taught me, because it, nobody taught them. But far be, it from my, far be it from me that on my watch, you guys can say, Pastor Wayne never taught us about taking care of our bodies. Far be it from me that on my watch and under my pastoring, you will never hear the message, you need to sleep. You need to eat. You need to lose weight. You need to take care of yourself. You need to breathe. Far be it from me to not address those things because that matters Physicality is connected to spirituality. Far be it from me to just talk about this spiritual stuff. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to teach. I'm going to teach about three theologies. If you look in your bulletin, you'll see three fill in the blanks. And what I'm going to do is teach three theologies that affirm the physical and spiritual connection. Three theologies that affirm this connection. Because if I don't talk about this at all, I'll say it again, if, I'm the, if I don't talk about this physical, spiritual connection at all, what I'm essentially doing is disaffirming the connection. If I never talk about this, I'm saying there is no connection. All that matters is spirit. That's not what I'm saying. Today, I'm going to affirm that there is a connection. And in doing so, I'm going to teach. Now, I want to teach practically. I don't like to just teach. I want to give you something to work on. But the thing is... In order to understand the connection between physical and spiritual, before we get to application, I need to teach a little bit today. So I'm going to start today with the first heading, the first fill in the blank and teach. The first theology is this. You can fill in the blank. It'll be on the screen. What is not assumed is not healed. 
What is not assumed is not healed. Now, I'm going to just give you, I'm going to preface this. The three theologies that I teach you today, all of them go back to ancient, ancient times. These are theologies that go back to the early church, the first 300 years. These theologies, they're not Reformed theologies. They're not Arminian, Arminian the, they're not Catholic. In fact, they're pre all of these things. They're pre all of these things. These go back to the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, which we're going to recite today. The foundation of what makes us Christian, these theologies come from that. What is not assumed is not healed. This was said by somebody named Gregory, Gregory Nazianzus. Let me tell you a little bit about this, tell you the story. Gregory uh, and two other friends, Gregory of Nyssa, Gregory Nazianzus, and Basil of Caesarea, they were called the Cappadocian Fathers, the Cappadocian Fathers. And these three Greek men, early, early, within the first 300 years of the church, they were the great superheroes of the church, the defenders of the faith. Why? Because in the first 300 years, there were heresies on two opposite extremes. These heresies taught on the one extreme that Jesus was not God. Jesus was just a man. He had a divine spark. There was something special about him, but he wasn't really God. Cappadocian fathers said, no, that's not true. We know that he was God. We believe Jesus was God. He was fully God. So they address that. But the other heresy on the other extreme, the other extreme, and this is the one where I really want to hang out, is that Jesus definitely was God. He was God, but he wasn't a man. He wasn't really human. He was half human. He seemed human, but he was really kind of like, you guys, uh, for those of us that are old enough, there was this television show. It was a, it was a, a, a movie series, five series, and it was called V. It was called V. If you, v stood for visitors. If you remember this crazy, it was, about these, it was about these alien ships that descended onto earth and then all these humans walked out of the ship and they'd say, we're just like you. We are human just like you. But then midway through the series, you'd see that they would, like this poison gas would get squirted at them and they go, ah, they would peel off their skin and underneath the skin were not humans, but there were these lizards. These lizards were intent on eating the entire human race, and they came really to dine on us. Anyway, I'm getting off on the sidetrack. The whole point is people thought that Jesus was not fully God, that maybe if he peeled his skin off, you would see an alien or some kind of divine being underneath. And the Cappadocian fathers said, no, that's not true. This is not V. Jesus was 100% thick and through thin, human. Underneath the skin, if you peeled it off, you would find muscle, sinew. The man bled. You would see bones that could be broken. They were never broken. You would see water. You would see feelings. And this is important. Let me tell you why. This is important. Because in order to heal us, Jesus had to assume everything. Now, when we say what is not assumed is not healed, this word assume means to take up. And you might think assume, does that mean, you know, to assume, to presume something? That's not, in this case, that's not what it means. 
To assume means to take up onto oneself. In other words, what Jesus had to do was to take on every aspect of human existence so that he could heal every aspect of human existence. If he forgot something, if he forgot something about the human experience, if he forgot to take on something, that would not be healed. So it was necessary, it was necessary for Jesus to become 100% fully human so that he could heal 100% of our humanity. He had to heal everything and therefore he had to experience everything that we go through. Let me give you an illustration. Give you an illustration. When I was about 15 years old, 15 years old, I was walking through the hallway of my high school <clears throat> and a heavy metal door slammed on my thumb. Ow! And I looked at my thumb and there was a dent. There was a dent on my thumb. And for the next 20 years, from the age of 15 to about 35, I had this dent that progressively got worse and worse and worse. And to add, I had this nasty habit of, you know, attacking my cuticles. And it got to the point where I looked at my thumb several years ago and I said, that's just really gross. It started looking like a mountain range. If you know your thumb, your nail, nail it grows outwards. And that one dent became these ridges. It became ridges. It was disgusting. You can ask my wife. And um, I remember saying, I, I wish I could just tear it out and start all over again. But in the last five years, in the last five years as God was doing a work in my own life, healing me of some of my anxieties, addressing some of my own, my own internal, emotional, and spiritual, spiritual needs, Gradually, I began to notice that the physical part of me, my thumbs, my thumb was getting healed as well. I stopped attacking my cuticles, and if you look at my thumb today, it looks completely and perfectly normal. It's completely healed. That's another small miracle. My thumb was healed as my spirit was being healed. Now, you might be thinking that... That's nice, that's pastor, but that's not spiritual enough, pastor. Pastor, I don't want to hear about your little thumb. Don't waste our time. Tell us about why we need to be holy. Tell us about the need to be spiritual. Tell us about the need to repent. Tell us about the need for sanctification. No, I want to talk about my thumb. Because if all our Christianity is about is holiness and spirituality, it's awfully one-sided, friends. If all Jesus came to heal was our spirits and not our physical bodies as well, then Jesus really didn't do a thorough job. What is not assumed is not healed. Listen to the words of Isaiah 53. It says that He was familiar with our pain. He took up our pain and suffering. By His wounds we are healed. And in Ephesians 1.9, we see that Jesus not only became a man to heal spirits, but all of the cosmos, everything in heaven and on earth, it says. In other words, Jesus is not about the business of just saving our souls, but discipling and healing not just our bodies, but all of matter. For in the, for in the end, friends, resurrection entails... Not just our spirits, but our bodies as well. 
How many of you have a nasty thumb? How many of you have something more than that? How many of you have something that is reeking, stinking, rotten, something about you that is just going bad, something about your body? You know, at the end of today's service, this is Communion Sunday, it's the last Sunday, you know, we break the bread, this symbolizes Jesus' body and the blood. You know, when we do Communion Sunday, we don't just do imaginary eating. We eat something. We eat something real. We participate. We experience taste, material. It's an affirmation of material creation. And what we're going to do, I'd like to do something today. In full belief and in trust that Jesus healed 100% of the human experience, I'd like to actually invite you you know, I'll, I'll kind of administer the sacrament, but thereafter I'm going to leave it to you to come up and partake by yourself. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to stand off to the side here. And if anybody has any part of yourself that you'd like to be healed, I'd like to pray for you. If you feel like I have a, you know, a rotten thumb or if there's something else in my body and I'd like for it to be healed, I'm going to invite you, you know, you can come over there before you take communion. Just step to the side, visit with me. And allow me to pray for you. I want to pray for healing. It's not me that does the healing. But in full confidence, Jesus assumed everything. Jesus heals everything. I want to invite you to be prayed to be healed. The second heading, the second theology. So the first is what is not assumed is not healed. In other words... Jesus took on all of our experience and therefore healed everything, healed all of our, our bodies. This second, this second theology, <clears throat> we are embodied souls or we are ensouled bodies. Embodied souls or ensouled bodies. Now, what does this mean? This goes back to the early church. This goes back even before the early church. This goes back to the Jewish worldview. The Jewish worldview is what Christians inherited. We don't realize, we often take for granted, but that our worldview is based on Jewish belief. And this idea, I first heard this taught by Dr. J.I. Packer when I was at Regent. And he said, we are embodied souls and ensouled bodies. In other words, the point of this is that you are not two things, you are one thing. Whether you see yourself as a soul or whether you see yourself as a body, either way, you are one symbiotic unity. Now, follow with me here. If you say, I believe that I am a spirit, I'm a soul, you are right, you're not wrong. But understand that you are a soul... That is embodied. You're a soul that has a body. So you are one thing. You're a soul embodied. If you say, I'm just a body, you're right as well. You're not wrong. But understand, you are an embodied soul. You're a body with a soul. The point that I'm making is this. 
You're not two separate things. You're one thing. When I got depressed, I was basically what you call a space cadet. Space cadet is somebody that is head in heaven, and that's it. And if your head is just in heaven, and all you care about is your spirit, but you don't pay attention to the fact that you are also one whole, a symbiotic unity, you're a body, then what happens is one thing will eventually die. There is disharmony between the spirit and the body. No wonder I was depressed. No wonder. And in that regard, when there's disharmony between the spirit and the body, when we don't pay attention that you are one thing, you are a unity, you are an embodied soul, or you are an ensouled body, when we don't pay attention to that, this is the beginning of psychosomatic illness. This is the beginning of repression. This is the beginning of neurosis. When our bodies are not paying attention to our souls. There are people like this all the time. You're like, you know, I'm not really a spiritual person. I don't, I don't even consider myself, there's people that are not religious. And so we care for our bodies. We take care of our bodies. But in the end, our soul is dying. Your soul is dying. And no wonder you don't feel whole. Or you have somebody whose soul, is, whose soul is on fire for Jesus, right? But every time you see them, they look depressed or tired. Nothing, nothing more depressing to look at than somebody who is on fire for Jesus. I'm on fire for Jesus, but I'm, I'm so tired. Body and the soul are intertwined. When Jesus says in John chapter 20, Thomas, Thomas, come over here. Give me your finger. Put it in my side. And when Thomas felt the wound, he was able to feel a body. He answered, my Lord and my God. When Jesus resurrected, he was a reunited body and soul. What we believe in the resurrection and the second coming of Christ is that all of our bodies and souls will be united, reunited, and harmonized. Harmonized. You know, think about this. Resurrection, we think about resurrection as separation from the body. We think that resurrection is the separation of my soul from my body. Resurrection is not actually the separation of soul from body. Resurrection is reunion. Reunion of soul and body. Some of you are already dead. You are the walking dead. Why? Why are people the walking dead? Because on the one hand, we're not taking care of our bodies. Our bodies are really in the process of, of um, necrosis, necrosis and death. Our bodies are dying. Whether it's through abuse or intake of things that are not helping, we are in the process of dying. Or, or on the other end, your spirit is dying. There are behaviors, there are soul-killing behaviors, things that we're doing that are killing our souls. And whether it's one or the other or both, as you are dying, maybe what we need is not just healing, but Resurrection. Resurrection. And if you follow what I'm saying, what is resurrection? 
Resurrection is reunion. Resurrection is harmony. Harmony of the spirit and the body. Friends, listen. In 2018, in 2018, as we do this Daniel plan, are you seeking resurrection? I think that is apt to seek a resurrection, a harmony of body and soul is necessary. So again, during communion, I want to invite you, even as the music plays, to be healed and to be resurrected. Okay, so the first theology. What is not assumed is not healed. What does that mean? means Jesus took on everything. He assumed all of human experience, even our wrinkly thumbs. The second theology, we are embodied souls or ensouled bodies. What does that mean? We are harmonized unities. We're meant to be symbiotic unities. We're not meant to be separated So pay attention to both spirit and body. The third theology, third theology is this. God became man so that man could become God. God became man so that man could become God. This also goes back first 300 years of church history. There's numerous numerous theologians who've said something like this in the early church, but... uh, If that makes you nervous, you can put the word like there so that man could become like God, like God. Now, there's a reason why those early church fathers said it like that, so that man could become God. They said it on purpose, but I'm not going to get into that. So think, God in heaven became man in Jesus Christ so that we, humankind, could become like God. God, so that we, humankind, could become like God. What we're talking about here is evolution. It's spiritual, but it's a physical evolution as well. This process that we go through when Christ changes us, we experience justification. After that, we experience Mortification. Mortification is a necessary process. To mortify, what does that mean? Mort. Anybody know? Mortify. Mort means to kill. What do we kill? We kill sin. We kill the things that are killing us. We're killing the chemicals. We're killing the addictive behaviors, the soul killing. We have to kill those things or else it will kill us. And in the process, we experience this thing called vivification. To vivify To vivify means to come to life. As we vivify the good things in our nature, the good thing, the Spirit kills the bad things, vivifies the good things, and then we're experiencing this process called sanctification. Sanctification, which means you're becoming holy, different. People recognize this. This is a real process, friends. This is not where I'm just teaching theology. This is something that you see in people's lives. You see this in people's lives. 
You've seen it. You've seen it in your friend. You've seen it in a mother. You've seen it in a brother. You've seen it in a cousin. You've seen somebody changing. You've seen it in a child. You've seen this person sanctifying because the bad things are being put to death. The good things are being brought to life. This person is becoming sanctified. But here's the thing. It doesn't end there. The process of evolution continues from sanctification to something called preservation. Preservation, this is my favorite part of the doctrine. Preservation means God will preserve you till the end. God will keep you. He has the power. He has the the ability, the strength to preserve your sanctification to the rest of your life so that you don't backslide repeatedly. So that instead of backsliding, you're making progress throughout your life. Your sanctification is taking you from glory to glory, from holy to deeper holy, from humble to humbler and humbler. You're becoming a beautiful, beautiful person. Have you ever seen a beautiful elderly person, somebody who's walked closely with God? Let me just tell you really quickly, the president of the Evangelical Covenant Church is he's an older man. He's, he's retiring. He's said he's done. This is a person on the verge of retirement. I've watched him in the last 10 years as he's gotten older and older. This is somebody that's humble. I know him personally. He's been attacked many times. Attacked. Talk about being a leader, right? But in the midst of those attacks, even public, he has never lashed out. He has never shot back. He's never been defensive. But he's continually said, what can I learn? What can I learn? And from the front, in front of 1,000 people, you know, and this week I had the chance to see, stand in his shoes a little bit and to stand in the front to deliver a short speech in front of a, a large group of people. He's never lashed out and said, well, those people are saying this and those that. He's never done that. Friends, preservation, the doctrine of preservation means that till the end, God keeps you. The growth, the progress, the holiness, God sees that all the way to the end of your life. In other words, we are becoming holier and holier. But here's the fun thing. It still doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. Because what happens after you die? What happens when you die? There is more. There is something called glorification. Glorification. We Christians believe that with the resurrection of all things, with the second coming of Christ, we resurrect. Our bodies and our spirits are reunited. We live again. When I hug you, I will feel the warmth of your body. I will feel your back. The endorphins will flow once again. Resurrection, glorification is the glorification of our bodies. Just like Christ resurrected a physical body and was glorified, the first of many brothers and sisters, we too will experience that glorification. What we're talking about is these physical bodies will one day be glorified. I don't want to talk about scientific evolution But I can tell you what Christian evolution teaches. Christian evolution teaches that these physical bodies that have the flu, that defecate, that smell, that need daily showers, will one day be perfected. That back that hurts, that thumb that's wrinkled, the knees that creak, 
All of this is meant to be perfected. Why? Because what is not assumed is not healed. In order to resurrect us completely, just like he was resurrected, Jesus had to have this whole physical experience. Friends, your body matters. Your physical body matters. It is not just a byproduct of the Spirit. That's Gnosticism. That's more Greek than it is Christian. Our physical bodies will one day be glorified. I want to invite you to close your eyes at this time and invite you to think, um, to reflect, where can I take care of myself better? We are just a few weeks away from making a personal commitment. Yes, I'm going to call on you. We're doing the Daniel plan thing together. We're doing the Daniel plan thing together. While we are at the retreat, you will get a chance to make that commitment, whatever it is. But consider now, what area of my life is disharmonized? Where do I need, where do I need reconciliation between my spirit and my body? To reflect on what change you would like to make as we start season of Lent at the retreat. Jesus did something very powerful on the night before he was betrayed. He sat down with his disciples at a meal. And you notice, you notice, look here for a sec, friends. You notice he didn't say, this is my spirit. He said, this is my body. This is my body. Anticipating the suffering that was to come. He said, I'm giving my body to you. I'm giving it. And whatever you believe about the table, know that for Jesus, the body mattered. And then, he took Welch's grape juice and he poured it. And he said, this is my blood. I'm not going to like what's to come, but I have to shed my blood so that I can experience birth, running to my mom's arms, the pleasure of eating, the joy of love, but I'm also going to have to experience this last thing, death. And I don't want to, but I got to go through it so that all of you can live survive death as well. Leaders eat last. Leaders also die first. So he pours out his blood and he says, this, this is my blood. Blood of the new covenant. When you drink it, remember me? Remember me? 
This has been a Woven Church podcast. Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org. That's www.wovenchurch.org.